I would grab any job that's remotely related to art and take it, no matter how little the salary, or maybe you can be uh, an intern somewhere. Uh, be be willing to give away your time to learn because getting out of school is just the beginning. Um, you know, it's it's you've accomplished that much, but you know. It's all about what you can do, not the sheet of paper that you get for a degree. Um, and, and that's true primarily in art more than any other, any other creative process. Welcome to WCSU 411, a podcast about interesting people and achievements at Western Connecticut State University. I'm Paul Steinmetz, and today we are recording on the Midtown campus in the basement of Whitehall with Wendell Miner. He is the artist whose work will be hung in a group show on campus called Thinking Visually, the Art of Connecticut Illustrators, which opens September 25th in the art gallery on our West Side campus. You have seen Wendell Miner's work on 2,000 book covers, including more than 50 children's books. He has illustrated books written by Gene Craighead George, Robert Burley, the astronaut Buzz Aldrin, and Mary Higgins Clark. When Pat Conroy and David McCullough write a book, Wendell Miner illustrates it. He has served as the president of the Society of Illustrators, and he has won baskets full of awards. His work hangs in several museums, including the Norman Rockwell Museum, the National Portrait Gallery, and the Eric Carle Museum of Picture Book Art. And I chose those three because I've been to all of them, but he's hung in many other uh, uh, private collections and museums as well. He also, collects, uh, he also collaborates with his wife, Florence, who among many careers is an author. Their first book together was If You Were a Penguin. So, uh, Wendell Miner, you're one of the most famous and successful illustrators in the world. Why did you agree to participate in this show at the local state university down the road from where you live? I appreciate the compliment, but I don't look at myself that way. Hmm. You're only good as your last job, as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. But uh, no, uh, when Jack Tom called and wanted us uh, called and asked us to participate, I thought it would be great because you know there's so many illustrators who do live and reside in Connecticut that it's a treasure trove of talent, and I'm. Really glad to be participating. Mm -hmm. The can we talk about uh, technique illustration technique a little bit? Sure. Um, I've always said that if technique exceeds the content, it'll it'll age. Mm. It'll not last. So I, I take a very classical approach. I use very classical materials, even though I use computers now to enhance some mm. of the work that I do. But uh, I've, been, I've worked in oil and acrylics, every conceivable medium, pastel, graphite. But I've settled on the old medium of gouache, which goes back about 500 years. It's a time-tested medium, and it reproduces beautifully uh, in books. It really does. And uh, the... Um uh, well, I was uh, looking at some uh, other illustrators here in Connecticut and others as I prepared for this uh, conversation. I noticed that, uh, and I knew your work before, but there's a lot of illustrators who are, um, they draw wood sprites with acorn hats and dragons with blood dripping from their uh, beaks, <laughs> and you don't do that. Um, no, I guess I was a kid who always loved nonfiction, and... Uh, 
I, I think, you know, as, as Edward Hopper said, uh, you know, all you need to know is can be found in the natural world. Mm. And I find that as fantastic and, and, and as much fantasy as, as the, you know, the dragons and, and monsters that uh, are, are painted by other, other artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been a student of history, science, biology, and biography. And if you look at my work, you can find all of those mm-hmm. uh, qualities in, in what I've done over the years. Mm-hmm. I read that you, uh, when you accept an assignment, you go to visit the site that uh, is being written about if it's... Um, uh, out in the prairie, say that uh, you'll go out there and uh, visit, so you get an idea of what. Like, do you draw from nature, or do you uh, take pictures, or how do you? Uh, um, do a that? combination of both. I do plein air painting and sketching, and mm-hmm. also take photographs. I mean, wor- working realistically, like I do, uh, it would be impossible to get the detail I get without using my own photographs. I shoot my own models whenever possible. And uh, I always feel that whenever it's possible to travel to a place or a setting that you're going to try to understand and illustrate, it's absolutely essential. Plus the fact that it's a lot of fun. It's like a treasure hunt. Sure. I mean, Gene George and I traveled to Barrow, Alaska, to Kearney, Nebraska to watch the Sandhill Cranes, Mm -hmm. you know, to the Everglades. um, And you, you pick up the essence, the spirit of a place that you can't substitute by just looking at a photograph never having been there Mm -hmm. and uh, what do you do with a book like 1776 by david mccullough how do you um, put that together yeah in in david's case i mean uh his earlier work i illustrated you know the great bridge path Mm -hmm. between the seas truman and a few others and and as david got more prominent uh we decided that you know obviously topography takes takes an, a, a bigger importance, but also when we're dealing with such period pieces like 1776, uh, we used period art uh, to incorporate in the design. Mm-hmm. I, I will do whatever it needs to create the essence and the best quality uh, for the material within the book. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I always read every book that I illustrate. I was going to ask you. A thousand pages or 40 pages. So you've worked with about 2,000 books. You must have uh, read a couple of clinkers in there. Um, not all are to my liking, mm-hmm. uh, but I think the challenge is how do you package something to its optimal effect, even though it's maybe not your taste. Mm-hmm. There have been a few in the past, though, that I just was just so, you know, in a way offended by the subject matter that I just said, no, this is not right for me, and I turned it back. Mm. That's interesting. I bet they were surprised, huh? Um, surprised, but not really. I mean, you know, people know me by reputation and, and, uh, I think they know in, in some ways that, uh, yeah, they weren't surprised. They just hoped that I would do it though. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Edward Hopper and you did a children's book recently for, or in the last couple of years for, uh, um, about Edward Hopper, right? And right. Because, uh, uh, how was, what was your approach to that? Because you set him within his paintings or within the scenes right. that he painted. Right? Yeah, it was it was a difficult concept. Robert Burley, uh, who I often collaborate with, and I worked together closely on that. And, of course, uh, he came to New York, and I took him to, you know, three, Quash- three Washington Square North, where Hopper's studio was. Mm-hmm. I went to visit his uh, studio up in Truro and read uh, 
Gail Levin's book, which is the most definitive biography on the Hoppers. And I've always admired Hopper. I lived in Greenwich Village for years, only three blocks from where he lived. Mm. And every time you go out in the morning or late afternoon, the whole environment was Edward Hopper. Mm -hmm. You know, light and shadow. He said all I ever want to do is paint light on the side of a building. Mm -hmm. And in in essence, I think that's the simplicity of what I've always aspired to. Um, I think he's one of the most important artists of the 20th century. Uh, And he's also, when you look at his work, he was, you know, working in a period of abstract expressionism and doing quite well doing his realism. But when you look at his paintings, they're really beautiful abstract designs. Mm -hmm. And they're boiled down to the essence of narrative where if you look at one of his paintings like Early Sunday Morning, Mm -hmm. you want to know it's a background for what you can project into that painting. And a lot of his paintings are that way. They they carry their own narrative to the individual who is looking at it. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. And I can... When I think of uh, some of the work that you've done, I can see that in what you do, too. Sure, and I don't think any artist exists in a vacuum. I I have hundreds and hundreds of books of painters and and, uh, biographies of people that I've admired over the years, whether it's, you know, uh, Edward Hopper or, you know, N.C. Wyeth or Andrew Wyeth or Thomas Moran. Uh, the list goes on. Uh, Winslow Homer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always taken my clue, my my cues really from from artists of the past. And as Da Vinci once said, uh, antiquity. You learn from antiquity. Mm-hmm. That's probably good advice. Excellent advice for uh, students who are studying art and illustration. We have a lot of them here at Westcon. Right. Um, I taught at Visual Arts for for eleven years. So. Oh. I know the challenges of, of, of teaching, and the one thing that that you know I always told the students is that you know if you're going to be an illustrator, you better learn to read mm. and read the subjects. It seems to be they're always you know reluctant to you know to to read a manuscript or something. Um, they want to you know they want to just go right to the, the to the image, and it's the intellectual process that creates the work. You know, the the technical skill has to be there. Mm -hmm. But if you don't put the intellect uh, behind it, then what are you saying? Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. uh, It makes complete sense. Uh, I was thinking of something I read about uh, your biography where you, as a young child, um, had some difficulties with reading and uh, gave credit to some grade school teachers and your mother for um, guiding you and uh, teaching you to learn to love to read. Yeah, that's true. Um, I have a a form of dyslexia, uh, which I I still have. Mm -hmm. I call myself a recovering dyslexic. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, but, you know, dyslexia has has gone from being a disability to to an advantage in some ways, because uh, I found that you know, I view the world differently than most people. Mm. And the way I describe dyslexia is that, you know, most people can think in a linear plane. Dyslexia uh, is, is a person who thinks in a three-dimensional space. Um, and, and if you were considered, you know, a marble in a box, the marble could bo- bounce on, you know, all four sides and up and down. And a lot of times that helps me uh, create some ideas that I would not ordinarily have if I did not have this uh, 
dyslexia problem. Mm-hmm. That's really. But also, uh, my mother encouraged me. You know, I went to special reading classes. Uh, my art teachers were very understanding uh, about my my uh, my issues. Um, I always had to struggle to get grades in school, but uh, but but my main world was visual. Uh, I can you know I almost have a photographic memory on certain things. Mm-hmm. And I attribute that to what was called, you know, a, a dysfunction, and it's, and I don't believe that it is. Right. It's a different way of learning or looking exactly. at things. Right? And, you know, in the creative world, uh, you know, there's, there's no one right way to do something. I always told my students, the right way is your way. Mm-hmm. You just have, the ha- have to have the confidence to know that your way is the right way because everyone has a different answer. And that confidence is uh, um, hard to develop sometimes, right? Um, yes, and I and I'd, I'd be lying if I said I don't have total or I do have total confidence because I don't. Um, I think every time you stare at a blank sheet of paper, you know you're always challenging yourself to do something that you haven't done before. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's you know that's an important thing is is your confidence comes from making mistakes. The more mistakes you make, the more you learn about what you you should or shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And that's where students are afraid to make mistakes. Uh, and they still come from a public education where there is two and two is four. In the creative process, two and two is whatever you want it to be. And I think that's the one simple thing that they have to begin to work on. Mm-hmm. That's a good message for them because... Uh... I think you're right that there are uh, uh, too many constraints on imagination and creativity and uh, uh, the common uh, uh, message is, oh, learn from your mistakes, but you don't. And I I think I've always said uh, to my students that uh, you can grade a student on a math test, you know, A, B, C, but creativity is something that you can't quantify. And if you can't quantify it, you can't grade it. And that's why it's always been this mystery, you know, especially in public education. How do you grade something on art when it's such an individual pursuit? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. You have, uh, isn't it true that you have been more, done more work in children's books uh, in the late, later in your career, more recently in your career than uh, you did at the beginning? Yes. I mean, in a way, you know, my, my career has, you know, been you know, bifurcated from the first 25 years uh, of, of doing book covers, which was a tremendous experience uh, working with, you know, getting to know terrific authors over the years and getting to know authors before they even became famous. Uh, and and have your career grow with with theirs, um, but I feel that uh, that was basic training for the most important work I'm doing now, and that is doing children's books that can affect young people's lives. And since I'm so interested in history and biography, and we know that that's one of the deficiencies in our culture, most you know adults don't know history very well, and and certainly most children don't learn that in school anymore. So if you can entertain uh, with a picture book to learn something about Edward Hopper and his world, then you're opening their eyes to a, to a new venue that they they wouldn't have known otherwise. Mm-hmm. So what, with a book cover, it's, I assume, essentially one, uh, the end product is one drawing. With a right. picture book, it's 
It could, it's a dozen or more. Well, yeah, I mean, you go anywhere from 32 to 40 pages. I just did two YAs, uh, one with Nathaniel Philbrick, the historian, who mm-hmm. wrote about uh, a story about Ben's revolution, about a young boy who experienced the siege of Boston and mm-hmm. was witness to the Battle of Bunker Hill. In that particular case, you know, I do a lot of research and, and uh, uh, you know, go through whatever I can find, and that's pre-photography. So I use reenactors, and, and uh, I have friends who have files of, of reenactor photographs and things like that. So that that uh, that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. But it also is, um, is it a longer project, too? Does it? Uh, 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 well, yeah, getting, I'm sorry, I was got, got uh, sidetracked there. But um, doing a book cover is, you. that's why it's so important to read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oftentimes, the, the the most obvious thing is is you know handed to you by an art director saying, well, why don't you do this? And then oftentimes, I find that if I read the book, I, I get a totally different feeling about the book, mm-hmm. and 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 that's that's really the the essentials. And, and when I first got started, uh, I was asked to, can you create this? And I would do that, but I would do other two other layouts that were mine. Mm-hmm. And as time went on, they started picking my ideas before their own, and eventually that gave me license so that in years, subsequent years, they would just call and say, here, read the book and tell me what you think. <laughs> that must have been a good feeling. Well, I, you know, at the time, I didn't realize the evolution of that, hmm. but uh, in, in retrospect, yes, it, was, uh, it really was an enjoyable process, and... Uh, I, I, I apprenticed with, uh, with with a man by the name of Paul Bacon, who is a legendary figure in, in uh, book jacket design. And I worked for him for about two years, and he taught me a tremendous amount of, of uh, um, you know, knowledge about the business. And that enabled me within two years to start freelancing. I've been doing that ever since 1970. Mm. Freelance can be a tough job, too. You're only as good as your last job, as I said before. <laughs> uh, you cannot rest on your laurels. Um, you are in essentially a service business, and if you don't provide the service, then people will go elsewhere. Sure. Um, and I think you also have to push yourself to do, uh, which I try to do, experiment. I just finished a book in black and white and, and uh, with touches of color, which is totally uh, delivered digitally. Uh-huh. You know, the, my drawings were the first part, and then... Photoshop was the second part, and that was a new adventure for me, and I think it turned out, you know, fairly well. Mm-hmm. Did you do the Photoshop too, or did somebody else? Do oh it? yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also, you know, a graphic designer, so, you know, I, I pretty much design my own books with, with, with some caveats that, you know, if there's something in the in-house art department that they want to change, then we talk about it. But basically, when I deliver a children's book, it's delivered as a complete design package mm. from copyright page all the way to, to dedication page. So you mean you design, do you, you don't design the type, but you choose the type and you... Well, design. yeah, I mean, there's gazillions of type, you know, uh, type samples out there, or in, in some cases, I'll even use hand lettering and scan it in. But, uh, but no, I, uh, I, I use you know, InDesign or Quark to... Uh, to create my layouts, and I, I cannot do a picture book without considering the placement of the type in the abstract design, because mm-hmm. there are so many children's books that illustrators don't make any accommodation for that, 
and then a designer has to try to save the look of the book because they're trying to find a, a spot where the where the typography is supposed to go. Mm-hmm. I always pre-think that. That's good. I mean, it, the, the photographs are different, but you see so many photographs in publications where the type bleeds out or you can't read it because of the way it sits on the photo and it's very annoying. There's been a lot of design ruined by the fact that design is more important than the, than the text that you're supposed to read. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The, uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm just reading a, what question I wanted to get to next. I had a, a, a couple of them. It sounds very much like you... Uh, have grown with technology. It hasn't left you behind. I uh, imagine there are some illustrators who just were not willing to work on a computer or learn Photoshop. Well, those that haven't aren't in the business anymore. Um, I mean, I've been on the computer now for, what, 25, 26, seven years. Um, I remember when I bought my first, you know, Macintosh, which was a big investment in those days. Mm-hmm. A Quadra 700 had like 256 megs of memory. Mm-hmm. By the time you got the printer and the scanner and 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 a, a, a display screen, it was ten thousand mm. dollars, and that was a lot of money, you know, 25, 26 years ago. Yeah. And uh, and now you can buy, you know, you you get a flash drive that has 32 gigs on it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's the, the technology has advanced so much. Um, you know, I, I've always felt that I use the computer for what I need. I used to, you know, sort of drive myself crazy about what I didn't know about Photoshop. Mm. That's an endless program. You could probably spend the rest of your life learning that program. So, mm-hmm. you know, out of you, you just out of utility, use it for what you need and don't worry about the rest because when the time comes, you'll learn that too. Do you think that the uh the career of illustrator has or has changed in other ways too. I know it has, but uh, say in the early 20th century, everybody was putting out a magazine that needed an illustrated uh, cover. So right. I imagine there were a lot of people doing that, and maybe that uh, illustration as a career was uh, seen as something different than it is now. Well, of course, if you look at the golden age of illustration, you know, I mean. Uh, you know, whether it's NCYS or Charles Dana Gibson. I mean, Gibson was making $100,000 a year mm. in his day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be like a million dollars a year today. Yeah. Um, and there was so much in, in the way of publications uh, that if, even if you were sort of a mediocre artist, you could make a living. Mm-hmm. Now, magazines are slowly disappearing to the digital world. Um, Books are still holding out, and children's books are probably, I call it the last pond in the Serengeti. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, not, it's not growing. It may be shrinking slowly. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the thing about being an illustrator is having, keeping your mind open. Uh, you know, I, I, I am forever grateful that I learned graphic design. You know, I decided to, to to tackle the computer world, and it was like f- feeling like a first grader when I first started. Mm-hmm. But it, you just assimilate that into the way you work, and I can't imagine working any other way. I mean, most of my dummies are delivered as PDF files, or you know, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I'm, I just sent out a book yesterday that was all, you know, uh, uh, computer printouts ready to go to the printer with with flash drives with all the art on it. 
It's pretty amazing. It really hasn't been that long that it's changed so dramatically. I mean, no, and then uh, another fact of you know our world is the internet uh, mm-hmm. has has made researching uh, imagery so much more uh, is so much easier, I should say. And uh, you know, I've got library full of reference books that I occasionally look at, but less so now because I have the whole world, you know, at my fingertips. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's a big advantage too. So from what I can tell, there's kind of a uh, uh, debate in the art world um, concerning the difference between fine artists and illustrators. Or if it's, <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's there's a, yeah, and there's a lot of snobs who um, uh, uh, have our opinions about artists versus illustrators. So do you ponder that or think about it or do you join in the discussion? Well, Norman Rockwell always said he was proud to be an illustrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at the history of American art, whether it's Thomas Moran, Winslow Homer, Edward Hopper, you know, Frederick Remington, I can go on and on. They mm-hmm. were painters. Mm-hmm. And they were also illustrators. Maynard Dixon, one of my favorite uh, painters of the West, um, what came to New York and, and worked. Uh, he did a lot of the Hopalong Cassidy series. Mm-hmm. He, was an, he was an illustrator. A lot of times... The skill that you gain as an illustrator gives you license to create. And I know a lot of illustrators, and I, I still consider myself a man with a fine art background, mm-hmm. and whenever I can, I do paint for myself. But the, the idea that being a hired gun to create a picture is a bad thing, when you look at the, the, uh, you know, the politics of the gallery world, it's really no different. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you get a style that is somewhat saleable, you know, gallery directors don't want you to change mm-hmm. because it's all about marketing and selling your work. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. It, it, you know, when I look at artists who, who be, you know, were illustrators and transcended to the fine art world, uh, that's all I need to know, you yeah. know. And if anybody wants to cast aspersions on illustration, be my guest. I don't, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. So for somebody, just a young illustrator or young artist just starting out, graduating from our uh, program here at West mm-hmm. Conference, um, uh, what, kind of, what would you tell them? What kind of employment and work environment would you be looking for if you were in their situation? And trying to I would grab it? any job that's remotely related to art and take it, mm-hmm. no matter how little the salary or maybe you can be uh, an intern somewhere. Uh, be be willing to give away your time to learn because getting out of school is just the beginning. Um, you know, it's it's you've accomplished that much, but you know, it's all about what you can do, not the sheet of paper that you get for a degree. Um, and and that's true primarily in art more than any other any other creative process. But I also would say that they have you know, and a lot of you know, today's students are so well versed in the you know, technical world, world and um, but learning to use social media uh, to promote your work, mm-hmm. um, in, in whether it's Pinterest or, or you know Facebook or you know any any of the other various venues, and and we're in all of them. Uh, Twitter have a Twitter account. Uh, we do. I would say a third of our time is spent with social media promoting and and uh, getting the word out about our books. And, and uh, most publishers have minimal budgets, so you have to do a lot of that yourself. But I've always said to students, don't wait for the phone to ring. 
be proactive. Get out there and, and show your work to everybody you can. Uh, as an example, I was hired by Hallmark Cards right out of school uh, and went to Kansas City. I worked there for about two years. Uh, I met Brad Holland, who was, uh, uh, I worked with, which was a great experience. And then I went back home to Illinois, and I worked at a small agency for about eight or nine months before I packed my bags, sold my car, and uh, took my portfolio to New York. And uh, that was a proactive thing to do. And people would say, boy, that took a lot of courage. And I said, no, it would have taken a lot of courage to stay stuck where I was because mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I learned very early that advertising wasn't my thing. I mean, uh, I also learned very early that, you know, greeting cards weren't necessarily my thing either. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my interests were broad enough. I came to New York looking for graphic design work mm-hmm. or even an art director's job. I was open to anything. I just happened to fall into a studio that hired me that gave me an opportunity to design and illustrate. And that was that one decision at one point in time has actually determined the last 50 years of my life. It's amazing how that works out sometimes. Right. And I think you have, you know, you know, students want to start essentially, you know, making a lot of money because they have, you know, they have student loans to pay. And I, I certainly understand that. But, um, you are in a, an industry that doesn't really need you. Mm-hmm. You have to create that need yourself. And so a lot of your verbal skills, a lot of your ability to sell yourself, which, you know, there are a lot of artists who have been around a long time who say, I can't sell myself. Well, you know, find an agent, but an agent doesn't want you unless your work is already selling already. Right. So I think uh, the, the social aspects, the intellectual aspects, and the ability to read, articulate, and sound intelligent is just as important as what you have in your portfolio. I think that's great advice. And uh, Wendell Miner, I've loved talking with you for the last half hour. Uh, uh, the show coming up here at Westcon is called Thinking Visually, The Art of Connecticut Illustrators. It opens September 25th, runs to December 3rd. The opening reception is September 28th on the Westside campus in Westcon's fantastic uh, art gallery in the building, the uh, new art building there. It runs from 6 to 8 p.m. It's all free. Wendell Miner will be there. I'll be there yes, too. I will. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there too, but I'll be hanging out with Wendell Miner, so don't bother me if you see me. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure to talk today. <laughs> Thanks very much, and I'll see you soon. All right. Take care now. Bye bye. I want to thank our producers, Scott Volpe and Pete Puccio. Without them, there would be no podcast. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe at WCSU Media on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher so you can stay up to date with all editions of WCSU 411. Leave a comment or a review and tell your friends to tune in so they can learn more about Western Connecticut State University and the interesting conversations like the one we had today with Wendell Miner.